this is your first time with us, my name is Derek and I'm the pastor here. I'd love to meet you after service and give you an awkward high five because that's all I know how to do. Also, do not forget to sign up for D groups. If God has been stirring you a little bit, or maybe you're just really curious about all this, maybe you don't even believe in Jesus or know what to think yet, that's perfectly a great time to come to D groups. Or maybe you are growing closer to Jesus and you want to keep growing. Or maybe you're not growing closer to Jesus and you'd like to start growing closer to Jesus. Any of those things are a great reason to sign up for D groups. And bonus, you get to hang out with me possibly if you're in my group, so that could be fun. This book we will go over is one of my all-time... I got one guy in the back like, yeah. So I'm not signing up. I'm out. All right, I get it. Some of you will get to be with Pastor John and Victor. It'll be more fun for you. Yeah, okay. How dare you celebrate? Wait, I think it was John celebrating himself. Okay, all right. One of those nights. The book we're going to go over is, I think, really perfect for the season of life that a lot of you are in. I can really help you, kind of push you into the next stage of following Jesus. So I highly encourage you to pray about signing up. We also do have all-night prayer coming up, something that's really cool. No one's ever cheered for all-night prayer before. So it's like, oh, usually everyone's like, ugh, 4 a.m., and then you guys kind of cheered, so that's fun. Anywho, growing up, I had a lot of things that I desired to be. I had a lot of dreams, right? In my early years, I wanted to be a football player, like an NFL player. See, I was short and chunky, but for some reason, children like to defy all logic when choosing their future careers, right? Like one look at me, like, that kid's not going to the NFL. But for me, I thought that was my future. So my lack of aptitude in the world of sports, it did not deter me from wanting to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. But as I got older and I matured, my thoughts on my calling or what I was supposed to do with my life also matured. I went from the ridiculous desire to be an NFL player, which is so far out there, to a much, much more reasonable idea that I'm going to become a rock star, specifically a Christian rock star, because that's a really stable income, right? Like, it's pretty easy to get into that game. I thought, like, I'm amazing at base, so this would be fun. Much more grounded decision. It was a joke of being sarcastic. You guys all stare at me like, this dude's dude serious? That's also crazy. Anywho, at some point in my adolescence, though, I realized that this is probably a little weird, so... I decided to change up what I thought I was called to do. Some points I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Other times I wanted to be an architect or a screenplay writer. There's these various jobs that I kind of aspired to do. I was always struggling to find my calling. Nothing ever felt quite right. That is until I became the Chi Alpha director, to be honest. As soon as I stepped into this job, I'm like, oh, this is why God created me. This is way more fun than just meandering around trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. I think many of us can kind of relate to that, though. See, as college students, you are constantly trying to find out what your future calling or your future job is supposed to be. We as a people, we're always looking for meaning. We're looking for purpose. We're trying to figure out why was I created? And this generation specifically really wants to make a difference in the world. You want to find out what am I called to do? Something that makes this a little more challenging is we have so many options. American psychologist Barry Schwartz writes on this idea in his book called The Paradox of Choice. His argument is that technology and society, as it's progressing, we're getting more and more options, which should make our lives better, right? But in actuality, these more options are increasing our anxiety because we do not want to make the wrong choice. And this is why I'll sit in the grocery aisle and just stare at products for such a long time thinking, am I getting the best deal? And I'll try to do quick math in my head. I'll be like, what if the quality's not good? What if I save 20 cents, but this doesn't taste very good? See, I have 45 options for barbecue sauce, and if I choose the wrong one, my life will be over. One time I chose the one with Guy Fieri on it. It was a terrible decision. That tasted awful. Don't do that. See, I think if I waste four cents by buying the wrong sauce, I will be broke. So I'll spend six hours to save four cents to find a slightly better tasting, more valuable sauce. doesn't make sense. And if this is anxiety invoking while we're at Target, imagine what happens when we have to choose our future jobs, right? It cripples us. 
This is why we worry about our majors a lot. We'll change them, then we'll regret it, so we'll change back, and then we'll regret that again, so we'll change to something else. And this happens like seven times in your freshman year. We're crippled with anxiety over our futures, and we do not want to make the wrong choice. Tonight, we're finishing our sermon series entitled Foundations. We've been examining the three pillars of Chi Alpha. In week one, we talked about real devotion, how we must be intentionally intimate with Jesus through abiding daily, how we are committed to spending time with God and having a personal relationship with Him. Last week, Pastor John taught us on the idea of real community and how we are called to create vulnerable fellowship. That just means we're called to be real with each other, that we will be an honest and vulnerable group of people, that life is too short to have fake relationships. Amen? Chi Alpha is committed to being a family who is real with each other and who loves each other a whole lot. And tonight we'll discuss our final pillar of Chi Alpha, real responsibility. In order to best discuss this pillar, though, I think we need to examine what is called the Great Commission. See, at this point in time in the Bible, Jesus had already died on the cross. He defeated death through rising from the grave three days after his death. And right before Jesus is getting ready to go do what's called the ascension, or when he goes back to heaven to be with God, he calls his followers together, he gets them on top of a mountain, and he says, I've got one last thing to tell you. Here's my final parting words. And this is called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. It'll also be on the screen. Already is, amen. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much, God. I pray that we will just speak through to you, God. Whatever you want to say tonight, God, will be said, Jesus. I pray for our students to have an encounter with you, God, that everything we do is centered on you. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our main idea tonight is this, that we are called to find, feed, and fight for people. We are called to find, feed, and fight for people. Real responsibility. The definition of real responsibility is that we are committed to finding, feeding, and fighting for people. As we explore this idea of what we are called to do, Jesus gives us a universal calling, meaning it's something that we're all called to. We have individual callings, right? Like, I'm called to lead Kyle for you and I. That's just specific to me. No one else gets to do it. Yay me, or maybe bad for me. Depends on the day. Some of you are called to teach. Some of you are to be professional musicians. Some of you are to be in the business world. Some of you are called to be your parents' children, your future spouse's spouse. These are individual callings that only you or I can fulfill, right? However, Jesus does give us some callings throughout the Bible that are universal to all of us. We are all called to live out this great commission of making disciples. The Greek word, and the Greek is the language that the New Testament was written in, but the Greek word and then for our word disciple is this word matateus. Matateus. I'm so glad I remembered that. I was really nervous. I was going to forget how to say it because it doesn't spell like that. It smelled like mathlete. But anyways, matateus just means a learner, a pupil. I think the best definition for this Greek word is actually this word apprentice. Pastor Daniel from our partner church, Sent Church, actually just gave a message on this whole idea like three days ago. So I challenge you to go listen to it on Sent Church's website, wearesent.church, if you want more information. But what Jesus is saying here is that we are called to apprentice or to be his disciple while also helping other people apprentice under him. In other words, our calling is to make disciples of Jesus, to make followers of Jesus. This calling is not just for specific people, but to everyone. We don't need to wait for this calling. You don't have to be sitting here and wait for God to say, Therefore, go and make disciples. This is thus saith the Lord. That's not what we're waiting for, right? We all have this calling. He's quite clear in Matthew 28 that this is for all of us. So if we disobey this command, it is not for a lack of clarity, but for a lack of conviction. 
because none of us are free from this. So we're called to make disciples. Awesome. Thank you. What does that mean? What is discipleship? I think discipleship or making disciples can be really boiled down to three terms, finding, feeding, and fighting for people. We'll start with finding. Finding someone just means that we welcome them, that we invite them into our lives, and we tell them about Jesus. This is the first step. You cannot help someone apprentice under Jesus without, like, meeting them first. That's a good first step. You can't just go up to someone, hey, here's Jesus. No, you should probably, like, say, hi, my name is Derek. Nice to meet you. And then you can go to Jesus. We have to find them first. We see this command from Jesus in verse 19 when he says this, go, therefore. Go. That means, like, get up and do something. We're not called to just sit and wait for people to start relationships with us. It's easy for us just to sit and wait. They should come here on Tuesday nights if they want to meet Jesus. We'll just wait for them to come to us. No, we are called to go to people in order to bring Jesus to them. We are called to find people. This looks like being really welcoming to everyone you meet. Being welcoming and loving to people even if they're different from us. We cannot let skin color, upbringing, major interest, dorm hall, whether or not they like the Piazza or the Rialto better, none of those things can be a barrier between us and people. Our job as Jesus followers is to break down barriers between us and other people so that we can love people right where they're at. I firmly believe, though, that the best way to find someone is not to go up to a stranger and just say, hi, I'm Derek, and start talking about Jesus right away. Or to stand up in the union on top of a table and say, this is what Jesus says. I don't think that's the best way to go. There's a time and a place for this, certainly, but it's not usually very effective. Let's just be honest about it. Usually it's really awkward, right? I think the best way to find people is to build relationships with people. To, like, make friends with our classmates. See, too often this is what our days look like. We get up. We're late for class. We put in our AirPods. Insert. We leave our class. We will not look at, or we leave our dorms, excuse me. We will not look at anyone. We walk to class never looking away because we don't want to make eye contact with someone. I do not want to talk to anyone. My AirPods are in. Do not disrupt me. We go to our class. We sit down. Take our AirPods out. But again, we do not look right or left because if someone looks at me, I'm going to have to talk to them. I'm going to stare straight at my professor. I will not be sidetracked or have to have small talk conversations. So we stare at our professor. We take maybe three notes, fall asleep for half of it, get in our phone a text or get on ESPN, put our phone away because we get in trouble, and view AirPods back in. And we walk right back to class, or right back to our dorm so we can avoid all human interaction, right? We do whatever it takes to avoid people. That is not the calling of Jesus' followers. We are called to make friends, to start conversations with people. The kingdom of God is established through relationship. The kingdom of God is established through relationship, just meaning people coming to know Jesus, Christianity, the kingdom of heaven. It is established through relationship. It is not through sermons or worship songs that people come to know God, but through relationships. If we want to see this campus come to know Jesus, it starts with us building relationships with the people around us, in our dorms, in your classes, at the dining center. We cannot just be a bubble of Chi Alpha people. All of our relationships cannot be with Chi Alpha people if we want to bring new people to Chi Alpha and share Jesus with them. The math does not add up. If you only know Chi Alpha people, you have no one to bring to Chi Alpha, right? Because they all theoretically know Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, that sounds great. I agree with you. I should be more friendly. But I'm wildly introverted, and I'm quite shy, so that idea terrifies me. I do not want to take my AirPods out. I've got some insight for you that might not seem quite obvious. I am also wildly introverted. I know, who would think? <laughs> Don't tell anyone this, it's a secret between us, okay? I like being alone. It's really fun for me. 
So I get it. I get that it's hard. I hate making friends with random people. It's so hard, right? But God has called us to do it. And then once you start doing it, once you make one friend, you're like, holy cow, human interaction's not too bad, actually. This is kind of fun. I like having friends. And then you get a bunch of friends. And then you start giving people weird high fives and just a downward roller coaster from there. There's another character in the Bible, though, who I think was also introverted. We can't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure he was. His name is Andrew. Andrew humbly meets Jesus, and then immediately he goes and tells his brother about Jesus. His brother was Simon Peter, who would go on to become the first head of the church, and he would preach to literally thousands. Andrew, his calling was not to go stand up and preach in front of thousands. He didn't preach sermons. No, his calling was still to make disciples, just like everyone else. But for him, what that looked like didn't look like giving a sermon. It looked like going and telling his brother about Jesus. Maybe you are humble Andrew. Maybe you'll never get up here and preach a sermon, and that's okay. But you still need to tell your roommate about God. Because you know what? Your roommate, the person next to you in your class, they might be Peter. And they might go change the world and turn the world upside down and lead thousands of people to come to know Jesus. But they wouldn't do that if you weren't a humble Andrew to go say, hey, can I tell you about my friend Jesus? We don't just build relationships with people, though, to get them to Chi Alpha. That's not what we're doing. It's not about a project or anything like that. No, we build relationships with people because it's the loving thing to do. On our campus, we are surrounded by loneliness and people that are just begging for a friend. We're also surrounded by people who feel hopeless as they do not know their creator, Jesus. So what does love do? Love finds a need and meets it. Love finds a need and meets it. People in your classes, they need two things. First of all, they need a friend. Second of all, they need Jesus. So the loving thing to do is to find them and provide them both community and hope in God because love finds a need and meets it. True love is not leaving people alone. That's not true love. Our society tells us that's what it is. That is not love. No, true love is going out of our way to find people and meet their needs, such as friendship and Jesus. Shifting gears a little bit, I want you to imagine that you find your spouse you date, you get engaged, then you get married to your spouse, you have a wonderful wedding day, the next morning you wake up and you say, you know what, that was it, that's the highlight of marriage right there, that's the peak, we're good, we're married now, I got my contract, see you in like 40 years, and you just bounce. That would be really weird, right? Because relationships are about more than just a contract, about more than just an initial meeting, it takes like some development and growth, right, where you grow closer to each other. After we find Jesus and help other people find Jesus, we must develop our relationship with him. We can't just get married to him, get our get-out-of-hell-free card, get salvation, and leave. The peak of our marriage is in our wedding day, just like the peak of our relationship with God is not the one moment we encounter him. No, Jesus' command to us, it doesn't stop with go, therefore. He goes on to say this, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is our next call of discipleship. This part is called finding. I mean, excuse me, feeding. We already did finding. Find, feed. It's the, past, the call to go past just finding and feeding them. So just like whatever we feed into our bodies will affect us, whatever we feed into our minds will do the same. 
We are all feeding on something for our minds and our souls. Maybe we're feeding on social media or television or conspiracy theories or maybe our favorite musical artist. Something is influencing us, right? We don't just wake up someday as a grown adult having zero influences, have come to all our own conclusions, our own ideas, and unshaped by anything. No, we are constantly being shaped by the world around us. You are not just you. You are actually a product of the habits you have and the people you surround yourself with. So we are a product of what we feed ourselves. Everything that we allow into our minds has an effect on our souls. What we watch, listen to, read, stream, post, like, it all impacts us. What we give our attention to will shape the person we become. We're constantly being fed. The question is, well, what do you want to eat? John Mark Comer in his latest book, Live No Lies, puts it this way. To live in reality, we must edit our streams, digital or otherwise. We must filter our mental intakes. Just like we watch carefully what we put into our bodies, few of us pick up random garbage off the sidewalk and pop into our mouths, we must take great care with what we allow into our minds. This leads us to this conclusion that we are all being discipled or fed by something. We are all apprenticing under something or someone. Maybe you're being fed by an influencer from Los Angeles, or maybe it's the rabbi from Nazareth known as Jesus. That is entirely up to you. So if we want to apprentice under Jesus or be his disciple, we must feed on him. This is what's called spiritual formation. See, finding people, that's the foundation And feeding is our formation. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says it this way. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are all being transformed into some image. So how are we formed into this image of Jesus? Through feeding. There are two ways to be fed. One way is to feed ourselves. This happens through what I talked about two weeks ago here at Chi Alpha called real devotion. Real devotion. Come on, go listen to that sermon if you didn't. This is having spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are just practices that help us live like Jesus. These practices or habits include reading the Bible, prayer, silence, and solitude. They're just different disciplines that help us connect with God. They help us abide in Him. So the number one way for us to be discipled or formed into the image of Jesus is through these spiritual practices. However... There is a second way to be fed. Another way is to be fed by someone else. This looks like having a mentor that helps you become more like Jesus. Having someone who's just a little bit further along than you on the journey with God who helps you to learn how to follow Jesus. So having someone who's also apprenticing under Jesus who helps you do the same because they're just one step ahead. We all need spiritual mentors in our lives. Imagine a baby who pops out of the womb right away and starts trying to feed themselves, like a really prideful seven-day-old baby who's like, back off, mama, I can feed myself. And they just like grab the bottle and start chugging it. That'd be really weird, right? Be uncomfortable and it probably wouldn't work very well. It'd be quite ridiculous. We all must be humble enough to admit that we need help, that we can't apprentice or disciple under Jesus on our own. Luckily or unluckily for me, depending on the time of day, my older brother was the person who mentored me He's my pastor now, and he was my small group leader when I was in Chi Alpha. He really pushed me, and he feeds me on my journey of becoming like Jesus. This looked like him teaching me how to read the Bible. He called out sin issues in my life, even when I didn't want to hear it. He answered my questions about God. He taught me new things about Jesus. He prayed for me. He guided me. He just was always one step ahead of me on his apprenticeship to Jesus, and he would point me in the right direction. 
It didn't stop there, though. I didn't rely on Daniel for all of my spiritual sustenance. I had to learn to feed myself. If my only connection to God was through my older brother, Daniel, that wouldn't work very long. When Daniel left, my connection with God would leave. No, I had to do my own personal development, and this happened through developing the spiritual disciplines, through committing to reading the Bible every day, through not expecting Daniel to be the only one who fed me. I got up and learned how to eat some meat on my own. This is our call. We must start with being willing to be fed. This takes some humility. Humility to say, I need help. I don't have all the answers. This is really hard. I get it. I struggle with this still to this day. Daniel will challenge me like, shut up, leave me alone. But I have to be humble enough to be a group that is being willing to be fed. Luckily for everyone in this room, there's someone who's placed into your life who their main job is to help you be like Jesus, to feed you. For most of you, that's your small group leader. Your small group leader is very far from perfect. Many of them do not have insane amounts of Bible knowledge. Most of them are very new to following Jesus. They're probably only like one or two steps ahead of you on this apprenticeship to Jesus, and that's okay. You don't need a spiritual guru who's got all the right answers. You just need someone to help push you in the right direction. And then for those of you who do not know, our small group leaders also have a small group leader called a resource leader. So small group leaders, be humble with your resource group leader. Maybe let them feed you from time to time. I know you're a leader, but you probably don't have all the answers. And then I get fed from Daniel, and then Daniel gets fed from this crazy bald guy named Jonathan, so it works out well. What does this look like practically, though? Practically, this means you spend time with your small group leader. Spend time with your resource leader. Get coffee with them. Eat with them. Don't blow them off all the time. Like, hang out with them once in a while. And when we spend time together, we must be intentional. If all we do is we go sit with our small group leader, we just hang out, we shoot the breeze, we talk about sports or our classes, that's fun. But we're not really being fed. We're not growing, right? We're just kind of chilling, which is, again, perfectly okay. There's a time just to chill, right? But there's also a time for intentional time to talk about our journeys with Jesus, to learn how to read the Bible, to learn what we need to grow in, to talk about God. If you are a Jesus follower, Jesus is calling you to center your life around him, to let him be your king. And if God is the center of your world, most of your conversation should probably come back to God. Just like at the center of your universe is music, most of your conversations are probably going to come back to music. Just ask one of our music majors in there. It always somehow gets back to music theory. I'm like, I don't care. Anyways, I was a music major for a semester so I can make jokes, make fun of them. It's fun. We need to push past surface level conversations and we need to get real with each other. We need to stop settling for surface level relationships and instead be mature enough to say, hey, I want to look more like Jesus. Will you help me? So make it a priority to spend time with your small group leader outside of small group and outside of Tuesday nights to focus on your relationship with Jesus. And in that time, when you're hanging out with them, talk about Jesus. Talk about your discipleship journey or your apprenticeship to Jesus. Be intentional. Our relationships, they have other things, right? Please play sports together. Do fun things together. Be friends with each other. That's very crucial. But on top of all this, we all have one standing connection. It's our connection to King Jesus. So that should be the thing that's talked about every single time. Every conversation leads to Jesus. Another practical way to be fed is through this thing called discipleship groups that are starting up in a couple weeks. So if you want to be fed, maybe you should join those. The whole purpose of them is your spiritual formation. So it's kind of like designed that way. However, it does not stop with us just being fed. The Apostle Paul, who is the guy who wrote a majority of the New Testament, or the majority of the New Testament books, and he was the greatest missionary to ever live, he had a small group. Isn't that fun? And he had a small group member. That guy's name is Timothy. 
In his letter to his small group member, otherwise known as 2 Timothy, he says this, And what you, as in Timothy, have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This sentence, 2 Timothy 2.2, is our calling. Paul is writing to Timothy. So Paul had discipled Timothy. He was his leader. And now he's telling Timothy, you should do the same thing. You should entrust what I'm doing with you into other people, into faithful men. So in this scenario, Paul is our small group leader. Timothy is the small group member, and faithful men is everyone else. All these other people that are in your classes and in your dorms that are waiting to look more like Jesus. So it is not enough for you just to be fed. You're also called to feed other people. If you're constantly just being fed and never feeding anyone else, you're going to get real big, right? Because if we're constantly eating and not pouring anything out, that's not healthy, right? So we need to eat and pour out. Eat and pour out. Because what God has done in you, He wants to do through you. What God has done and is doing in you, He wants to do through you. That is discipleship. So start your journey with Jesus. Find someone one step behind you, someone in your class, in your dorm, who does not know Jesus, and start to talk to them about Jesus. Be intentional about feeding them. I know a lot of you are probably thinking, you're like, I'm really new to this. Like, I just started following Jesus like two weeks ago, and I have no clue what's going on. Half the time I fall asleep during the sermons, so what am I supposed to feed someone on? Here's my question for you. If that's you, do you know that Jesus loves you? If you're a Jesus follower, I hope the answer is yes. Do you know that Jesus died for your sins? If you're a Jesus follower, I hope the answer is yes. Looks like you've got two things you can feed people with. So what should you do? Find someone who doesn't know those things and tell them that. It's not about being a pastor or preaching a sermon. Feeding someone is just sharing the little bit of knowledge you have about God while we apprentice under Jesus, while we constantly try to learn more and just sharing it with the people around us. That's how we start to make disciples. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He ends the Great Commission with saying, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if we do this, if we make disciples, Jesus is committing right here that he'll be with us. He says, if you make disciples, I will be with you always to the ends of the age. And as Jesus is with us, we will be changed. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you start to look like Jesus. This process of looking more like Jesus is called sanctification. Say sanctification. Amen. We're learning some big words today. This just means looking more like Jesus, becoming more holy. That's the essence of discipleship or spiritual formation, becoming more like Jesus. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes for us and for the people around us to look more like Jesus, even if that means fighting for people. Not fighting people. There's no violence. Like, I don't want to see you with a machete, start hacking people in your classroom. That's not what I'm saying. But we fight for people, meaning that we must be willing to lay down our lives for the people around us. We want to do hard things so we can point people to God. As you fight for people, what we're really fighting for is this balance of truth and love. Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So how do we grow into being like Jesus? We speak and we're spoken to the truth in love. I think too often we meet Jesus, we ask for forgiveness, or we give our lives to God, and then we stop there. We've got our get-out-of-hell-free card, we've got a ticket to heaven, so now we're good. Now I'm just going to ride the wave until I die. That's not quite what we're called to do. Jesus has so much more for us. So much more for us. Jesus does not just want to get you out of hell. He wants to get hell out of you. Hell is just being apart from God. Hell is just sin, evil, destruction. 
Everything that is bad in the world is encompassed in hell. There's no place for that in our lives. Jesus wants us to grow to become more heavenly or more godly. He wants to get all that's bad, all the junk out of your life. We all have blind spots. We all have areas that we do not realize that we aren't being very heavenly. So what we need is someone who's in our lives who's willing to speak the truth to us, who's willing to challenge us because they love us. Love finds a need and meets it. One need that we all have is we all need someone who loves us enough to call us out when we're not being like Jesus. Our society, we tend to avoid truth, especially truth that hurts. We'd rather walk around on eggshells, constantly being in fear of like getting canceled or getting in trouble or getting yelled at than just speak the truth. And this is exhausting. That's just a performance. It's all about how can I say the right things to people so they'll like me and they won't be upset with me so I can be a people pleaser and everything will be Gucci. That's not love. That's not a real relationship. That's fake. True love is being able to speak what you believe, being able to be honest with people, being able to call someone out and trusting that your relationship with them is strong enough to withhold this tension because you both love each other enough to have a hard conversation. True love is caring about someone's future more than you care about their feelings. Yes, we should care about people's feelings too, right? Don't be a jerk going around screaming at people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we care more about their future than their feelings, which we do care about. So if someone's just a ball of anger that's constantly like pushing everyone away because they're a jerk, the loving thing to do is not to let them keep being an angry, prideful, mean person because then they'll end up without friends and full of bitterness. That's not, it's not loving to let them keep being a jerk, right? No, the loving thing to do is to go, hey, man, you're kind of a butt right now. You're kind of being a jerk. Like, you're always angry and, like, throwing things. Is everything all right? Like, how can I help you? There might be some momentary conflict. Maybe they'll throw something at you. I'm sorry if that happens. But over time, this will be for the best. Not getting thrown at. But having a hard conversation because that is fighting for someone. While at the same time, we speak truth, but we can't be all truth. We also must have love. We must also sacrifice our time for people. We have to go out of our way to serve people. Find someone's love language or the way that they are best loved and love them that way. Love people even when they're different from us. Love people when they tick us off. Be full of grace. Give people second chances. We need to do things for people that we do not want to do. If you challenge someone and speak truth, come humbly. Come with love. Be full of grace. If we were honest and graceful, this world would be a much better place. We have to have this balance of truth and love. Because truth without love leads to hardened hearts because of loveless words. Truth without love leads to hardened hearts because of loveless words. But love without truth leads to hardened hearts from unspoken words because we're scared to tell the truth. We have to be full of grace and full of honesty. There are a few things in this world that I love a whole lot, like I'm very passionate about, just a few things. One of which is that Raising Cane's is significantly better than Chick-fil-A. Amen. Come on. Cluckety, cluck, cluck, cluck. How can I get your tenders? Anyways. I'm pretty passionate about this. There's another thing I'm really passionate about, though. I'm also really passionate about the fact that when you drink coffee in the morning, that coffee must be drunk, drank, hot. However, when we drink coffee in the afternoon, it needs to be iced. So before lunch, coffee is hot. After lunch, coffee is iced, no matter the time of year. I'm very passionate about this. Now you're, you, okay, now we're having conflict. This is good. Speaking the truth in love. And I'll be honest, you guys. I try to encourage people to agree with me on these things. It's not because I'm a jerk or want to be manipulative, 
Because, to be honest, I don't really benefit from you liking Cain's, but because I truly think that if you come to your senses and you agree with me and you do these things, your life will be better. Just try raising Cain's. I promise your life's about to be amazing. I love you too much to keep letting you substitute the lesser of this world, known as Chick-fil-A, for the greater that is raising Cain's. Just trust me on coffee temperatures. When I started this process, my life has gotten so much better. I think you can be better too. Just drink hot coffee in the morning and iced coffee in the afternoon. I preach these things simply because I love all of you. Because I care more about your future than your feelings right now. True love is not letting someone wallow in Chick-fil-A sauce when they can soar like an eagle in Raising Cane sauce. Amen. Yeah. I got like three claps. Amen. Oh, that's so good. I could talk about canes all day long, but I won't. All right. So my older brother, Daniel, like I talked to you guys about, he was the one who really discipled me. He fought for me. He never gave up on me. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'll just be honest with you guys. But my brother has always stood by my side. I've been a prideful jerk. I've been overcome with sexual sin. I've given him many reasons to give up on me. However, my older brother, Daniel, has never taken them. But he also didn't just love me right where I was at and let me stay that way. See, he didn't see me in the mud and filth of my mistakes and let me keep rolling around in the mud and my mess and leave me there. No, he loved me enough to get down in the mud with me and to pull me out. This looks like speaking the truth in love. When I was dating my wife, Taylor, we did not have the best sexual boundaries and Daniel would call me out. One time I was at her apartment way too late and he texted me and said, go home, little brother. I was so mad at him but he helped me avoid further sin that night. And I'm very thankful that he did that. He'd often call up my pride. And I'd argue with him, be like, no, Daniel, I'm not prideful. I'm just asserting that I was correct. That's not pride, okay? I was just boasting about how I'm better than other people. I don't see the issue in that. And he would have, ah, I can't believe I didn't get fired from my internship. My brother fought for me. See, over Daniel's dead body, would I do something stupid with my life? The beauty of this is because he fought for me, I got the opportunity to fight for other people. The person who I've probably had to fight for most of my life is the man on the guitar named Victor. Victor's one of our associate staff members at Kai Alpha. When Victor came in as a freshman, I was a sophomore and I got the pleasure to be his small group leader. Victor made some mistakes throughout his time in college. There was multiple times throughout his time as a student that I had to challenge him. I had to push him. I had to tell him, Victor, you're being really dumb right now. And one time, he made probably the worst mistake of his life. He came to my house, and he sat on my couch. And my older brother, Daniel, and I had to do two things. First, we had to confront the sin issue in his life. We loved him too much to let him keep walling around in his sin. However, we had to bake this in love. Daniel's better at this than I am. I got to watch Daniel love on Victor, to encourage him, to call potential in his life, to look in his eyes and say, I believe in you. Because Daniel and I saw a great future for Victor. And we so badly wanted to help him get there. See, I've always believed that Victor is a world changer. And I so desperately, with every ounce of my being as a small group leader, wanted to help him get to the person that God has created him to be. Over my dead body, was Victor going to do something stupid with his life? And because Daniel was willing to fight for me, to sacrifice for me, to speak the truth and love to me, Victor Martinez found his calling, found his future wife, and he looks a heck of a lot more like Jesus than he did five years ago because someone is willing to speak the truth in love. So this is my challenge to you. 
First of all, I challenge you to be vulnerable with your small group leader. Your leader cannot push you and help you grow if they don't know you. They don't know what they don't know, right? Pastor John talked about this last week. Transparency, that's just like if someone asks you, you're not going to lie to them. So like if they ask me about an issue, I'll, bring, I'll answer them. But we want to be vulnerable. Vulnerability means that I don't need someone to ask me if I'm struggling. I'm going to go tell them I'm struggling. Because when we, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness, when we say, God, I've screwed up, he's forgiven us. However, we don't want to stop at forgiveness because when we confess our sins to community, we receive freedom. We're not just about getting forgiveness, we're about getting our chains broken off. So we confess our sins to God for forgiveness and to our community for freedom. So be vulnerable with people. Share what we're struggling with. We're all full of mistakes. Why not be honest about it? Let's be humble. When someone challenges you, listen to them. They might be wrong. Your leaders are not perfect. They may say something that's way off base. And if they do, just show them a ton of grace because they're trying their best. And they love you enough to challenge you. But if someone's willing to bring something up to you, which is a very hard thing to do, they might just be onto something. It's at least worth thinking about. Let people speak truth into your life. Let people tell you areas to grow. Let people challenge you to spend time with Jesus. Let people challenge you to be more loving, to be more welcoming, to be more outward of your faith. Let people challenge you on any lust issues. Let your leaders and your small group and the people in this community help you overcome addictions like pornography, alcohol, or drug abuse that are rampant on our campus. And while we are being open to being fought for, we must fight for other people. Share with people about Jesus. Not because of some hidden agenda, but simply because we love people. Lay down your life for other people. Do things that are not fun for other people just in order to love them because love finds a need and meets it. You're here tonight and you might be asking, just like we talked about at the very beginning, what am I called to do? Why was I created? Well, one thing you're created to do, according to Jesus, the God of the universe, is to be his disciple. On top of that, you are called to make other disciples. So first, you must be found, fed, and fought for. Then in return, you must find, feed, and fight for the people on this campus. Be willing to get uncomfortable so you can welcome people into a relationship. Take the AirPods out and make a friend. The kingdom of God is established through relationship. Feed people. Apprentice under Jesus. Try to be like Jesus. Start this spiritual formation. Have real devotion. Spend time with God. Let people challenge you. Let people teach you how to read the Bible if you don't know how. Let people feed into you. And at the same time, help other people follow Jesus. Find someone just one step behind you tell them about their God that loves them. Fight for people. Get uncomfortable. Sacrifice. Speak the truth in love. Because over our dead bodies, are we going to let our friends do something stupid with their lives? If you'd all stand with me. We have a high call. We are called to be apprentices to the God of the universe. This is a process. Hear me, you will not be perfect right away. Have patience. Have grace for yourself. In Luke chapter 2, we get to hear about Jesus. When Jesus was a boy, and it says that he grew in stature. It says he grew. It says he started to be, he'd grow up as a man and start to be like God. So Jesus didn't immediately come out of the womb and start making disciples. No, he grew for 30 years. Jesus needed 30 years, it's okay for you to take three months. It's a process. It takes time. Have grace for yourself. But if we do this, 
if we promise to find, feed, and fight for people, our campus will be turned upside down. Our campus will find hope through Jesus. Our campus will be full of disciples of the king of the universe. And we do this simply because Jesus loves us, because Jesus died on a cross for us, because Jesus found us in our sin, and he paid for our mistakes and didn't let us stay that way. Because he fed us the truth of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And he showed us that the way to eternity is the way of faith and trust in him. Because he fought for us by defeating death through rising from the grave. Because Jesus loves you. Jesus found, fed, and fought for you. And now he's looking you right in the eyes and saying, will you find, feed, and fight for my other lambs on this campus? He's asking you one question, really. Will you be my disciple? Will you be my apprentice? If you're in this place tonight, and if you're honest with yourself, you haven't been apprenticing under Jesus. You haven't given your life to God at all. You've been kind of trying to do things on your own. I want to give you an opportunity to change that tonight. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask everyone to close your eyes, bow your heads. We do this every week at Kai Alpha. And if you want to respond to this and say, Jesus, I'm coming. I want to try apprenticing under you. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, not as a sign to me because no one's looking around, but simply as a sign to God to say, Jesus, I'm all in. So if that's you and you want to commit to giving your life to Jesus, I'm going to challenge you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you that you found, fed, and fought for us, God. Thank you that you loved us enough to not let us stay in our sin, God. Jesus, I pray that we will become a disciple-making community that loves you so much, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. This is the second group of you. If you want to commit to being found, fed, and fought for by spiritual mentors and by Jesus, and you also want to commit that you're going to find, feed, and fight for other people, what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hands just like this. Just raise them up. Just as simple as saying, Jesus, I'm coming in. So that's you right now. I challenge you that we're going to sing this song together. We're going to sing again. And as we sing, pray, God, help me find, feed, and fight for people. God, help me live your calling, not my own calling. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I pray that we will be a community of disciples that make other disciples, God. That we will make disciples who make disciples who live lives of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility, God. That we will be a kingdom-minded group that is running after you, Jesus, and is focused on one goal, and that goal is to surrender our will to you, King Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. If you're in this place and God is speaking something to you, we will have a couple of our leaders up in the front corners that would love to pray with you. No pressure. They would just love to pray with you. Thank you.